0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for all my friends who are gathered here and those who are listening online. And Father, we just pray this Christmas we would see the redemptive plan that you had from centuries previous. That we would see the redemptive plan that you even had before the world was created. Before the stars were put in space. Before you spoke the world into existence. Before the cosmos were created. You had a redemptive plan. And we thank you for that. So Father, we pray the Holy Spirit would be in our midst, whether we find ourselves in the church building today or in a living room, in a coffee shop, or some are driving in the cars listening today, that they would find that you can turn drama into destiny. So Lord, we give this time to you and pray your blessing will be upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into our application points today, I want to paint a little backdrop In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, have you ever noticed there's a lot of so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so? How many of you tend to skip over the begots? Just raise your hand. A lot of us do. But I want to bring a little backdrop before we get into our main message today is that there's a reason why the genealogies are there. Even as you read through the book of Leviticus, even Pastor Adam can tell you there's significance in the genealogies. And here's the reason why the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming Messiah, So everybody's birth has a significance, especially those along the line of King David, because the Messiah was going to come from the line, the lineage of David. And there was going to be one to sit on David's throne who was going to rule and his rule would never end. So when you look in Matthew and you read the first 17 verses, four interesting people emerge that are not. Typical that you would see in a a Jewish genealogy. There are four women besides Mary. And these four women, let's just say one is an outsider and three uh, have a scandalous past. So let's, let's look at the women. First of all, Tamar. We understand that Tamar, she felt like, you know, she felt like an outcast. And she was waiting on her husband had died. She was waiting on the next son to mature so she could marry him as the custom was. And that day and she found out that basically that she was rejected. So she disguised herself as the prostitute and she had a one night stand with her father-in-law Judah and she got pregnant out of that. So that that's the first woman mentioned. So Tamar played the one night stand role. Uh, Rahab. She didn't just have a one-night stand. She had several one-night stands. In fact, she was known as the prostitute from, from Jericho, the Jericho prostitute. All right, fast forward to Bathsheba. We all know Bathsheba, her story. She committed adultery, and because of that, what happened to her husband? He got murdered, right? So those are three of the women. And then you have Ruth, and she was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. She, she wasn't even part of the Jewish clan. So why are these four interesting women, three that struggled with sexual sins and one that was a definite outsider, why are they mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus? You guys ready for the good news? They are mentioned because it shows that God is here to rescue all of humanity, including those of us who have shady pasts. So no matter what your past is, God offers redemption and forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the excitement thing we have about Christmas is that Jesus came not just for the perfect people, which none of us, he came for sinners. He came to rescue, to redeem, and to restore us. From the guttermost to the uttermost, he came for us. So with that backdrop being painted, let's look at four observations about Joseph. Joseph had a difficult decision to make. The first observation, we see an ordinary couple who experienced something quite extraordinary. When you look at verse 18, if you'll go back in your scripture passage, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered what the first Christmas was like? You know, we sing all the Christmas songs and carols and hymns, and, and it's really great. But I want to be the mythbuster. Can I? You ever seen the show Mythbuster? Truth, facts, or fiction? Well, this may ruin it for you, and I apologize in advance. But one of the myths is it was not a silent night. We sing the song "Silent Night, Holy Night." All is was it calm? If you look at the scripture passage, there was a census going on. Bethlehem was packed out. There was no room for them in the inn. I don't know about you, but when I've been around crowds, it's not calm and it's not silent, right? (laughs) And how many of you have been around a childbirth before? Is that a silent night? I don't think so. So it wasn't a silent night. The other one, ironically, we just sang the song today, is Baby Jesus Was Not Quiet. And one of the songs we sang today, Away in a Manger, it says, But little Lord Jesus, no crying. Where do we get that? Where's that in the Bible? It's found nowhere. And it sounds poetic and it it sounds fun, but Jesus was a, a human and human babies cry. So I like that song, except I would throw that one line out because it's not theologically correct. Just saying, so sorry to ruin it for you, but Jesus cried, okay? The Bible says he got hungry. He slept, so he cried. Sorry, I had to ruin it for some of you. All right, the other one is, the other song we're singing I'm dreaming of a... Was it a white Christmas in Palestine? I'm just asking. I mean, it's probably around April, probably not December 25th. Uh, we sing that because in America, December 25th, there's a lot of white Christmas. It was probably not a white Christmas. So what was the first Christmas like? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question. And in your living room, I'm glad you're asking that question. The next few weeks, we're going to answer that. So stay tuned. Keep coming next week. And if you're traveling, some of you're traveling, watch online because you don't want to miss this series. All right. Now, shameless plug over. Let's continue on. Something happened that had never happened before. Verse 18 says before they came together, Mary was founded with child. So here's something that had never happened in human history. God didn't just visit Earth like he did a few times in the Old Testament, but he moved to planet Earth. Now, there's a few loopholes he would have to get through. Number one is there's the human original sin passed down. I don't know how the process works, but when husband and wife come together, the combination of the genes, the original sin, passes down through the gene line. But what happened, there was no father involved. This is Mary was a virgin, There was no father involved. So Luke gives us a little description that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. So it was a spirit birth. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. So uh, I want you guys to follow me. This is kind of hurt your head if you think about it. The eternal son of God who lived from eternity past steps into the present at this first Christmas, and he moves inside the virgin womb through the power of the Holy Spirit and Through Mary, the eternal Son of God takes on a human form so that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. 100% plus 100% equals 100%. Ask me to explain that fully. I can't, but that's what happened with the virgin birth. Amen. And his mission that Christmas day was to be born so that he could live the perfect life, Die a sacrificial death in your place and be resurrected victoriously on the third day. And the church said, Amen. So listen, guys, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But the beautiful thing about Christmas is God enters our imperfection and he chooses to change it. He enters the creation. He enters the devastation and he chooses to resurrect it. So if you came today and your life is a little full of drama, i got a question to ask you. What if God can turn your drama into your destiny? So that's the first observation. So we have an ordinary couple who experience something quite extraordinary. Number two, the second observation, we have a godly guy who found himself in a heartbreaking situation. So when you look at this, verse 19, it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So this first Christmas was not a silent night. This first Christmas was a night full of drama. Joseph had spent probably about a year preparing for Mary. In the Jewish culture, what they would do is once you became betrothed, you would go back to your father's house, and it would take up to a year to make an extension. They were, they were very clannish back then. Often it would be an extension of the father's house. And you would, you would begin to build that and get that, get that marriage suite ready. Get that room ready. Get that part of the house ready. So as Joseph is preparing, all of a sudden he gets news that Mary is pregnant with a child. And Joseph knows it is not him. I know it's not me. He knew it wasn't him. So the only conclusion, humanly speaking, was Mary was unfaithful. He thought to himself. And as he pondered this, his only choice, he had two options. One, I could make this a public scandal. And according to the Old Testament, now this wasn't very often done, but it was there. Occasionally done is she could be stoned to death for committing um, adultery against Joseph. The other one was he could do it in private and secret and divorce her, even though their marriage had not been Fully consummated, he could just walk away, say, I love you, but this ain't working. So Joseph chose to take the high road. He chose not to make this a public matter. He loved Mary so much, he wanted the best for her, even though he thought the worst of her right now. So I turn the question away from Joseph and to you and to your living room and to the shoes that you walk in. How many of you are going through drama right now? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want. How many of you are going through personal struggles? Some of you are struggling with depression right now. In fact, according to one study, 64% of Americans struggle with holiday blues. That's 6 out of 10 of you. And those of you listening online, you're struggling with holiday blues. Some of you are feeling alone. There is an empty seat at the dinner table. I'm one of those. My father-in-law, as you guys know, died last Thanksgiving. It's been a year now. There is an empty place at my dinner table where John used to sit. So that's a reality. Some of you have a spouse that has died, a child that's not there. Um, Some of you are struggling with your health. Your health this year is much worse than it was last year. We have people in our church battling cancer. We had one recently passed away, Miss Rhonda, from cancer. This is a real issue. What about struggling with purpose? Like, God, I'm 70 years old. And I'm still I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You ever been there? God, I'm eighty-two and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Here's a little encouragement. Moses had the same predicament. It wasn't until he was eighty then he walked into his purpose. So it's never too late. As long as you're breathing out, I call it the mirror test. As long as you can fog up a mirror, it means you're still alive. And as long as you're still alive, God still has a purpose for your life. So when you go home. Take the mirror test see if you can follow it up. It means you're still alive, and God still has purpose. Amen. Some of us are having family problems. Some of you have a son or daughter or a grandchild that's gone astray. You've tried to pray them back, you've tried to get them back, but they haven't come back yet. That, that's a reality. Some of you have a child or grandchild that has a learning disability, and that can be a challenge for parents and grandparents when your child is struggling to, to, to cope with society and school. How many of you have teenagers? We have some in the room. And this is not the teenagers in the room, but some teenagers think their parents are dumb and they're the masters of the universe. You ever been there? So what do you do what do you do with that? What about those of you who have a 20-something that's moved back from college and it's been two years and they still don't have a job? And this Christmas you're like, hey, what are you going to do? I still don't know. I'm still trying to find myself. There's family drama. So here's the thing. What if... Your present drama is part of your future destiny. What if God is working in the middle of everything, right in the middle of your mess, God is working to do a miracle. What if God is right in the middle of your drama? Did you know that your drama doesn't catch God by surprise? He sees every tear that falls from your eyes. He his heart is broken when your heart is broken. Whenever you face struggles, God enters into that struggle with you. And here's the thing I want to encourage you. There is significance in your struggle. And there is destiny in your drama. Let me remind you guys of a Sunday school lesson. For those of you who grew up in church, for those of you who haven't, you've at least heard of them. Joseph in the Bible. Joseph, at the age of 17, had his destiny revealed to him. God had shown him in a vision one day You're going to be in a prominent position. The sun, the moon, the stars are going to bow down to you. You're going to be an amazing position of authority. So at 17, he had his destiny revealed. But guess what? Drama came. As soon as he started to walk into his destiny, drama unfolded. His brother said, Joseph, we don't want you. They they wanted to kill him, but God spared him. He ended up getting sold as a slave. He found himself in Potiphar's house. Can someone say Potiphar? And Potiphar maybe was a somewhat nice guy, but he had a wife that was a little cray-cray, okay? And I I can't explain it, but his wife thought he looked pretty attractive. He was like a 17-year-old Abercrombie model. Joseph, you can read the Bible, it said he looked good, a good-looking guy. So the wife started looking at him through her, her eyes and said, he's a lot more handsome than my husband. So she went after him, and he refused, and guess what? A woman scorn. what is the saying? Hell hath no fury. Well, guess what? She had him thrown into prison. So he went from Potiphar's house to the prison. And in prison, he's in his 20s at this point. He still has the drama. But as the drama is unfolding, his destiny begins to emerge. So fast forward to the age of 30. It's been 13 years. All of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. And guess who can interpret it? See, am I remember. Joseph. So what happens to Joseph? He gets elected as the vice president, so to speak, of Egypt. But his destiny has not yet unfolded. Seven years of plenty, of prosperity. And then there's going to be seven years of what? Famine. In the second year of famine, this is Joseph's 39th year of living. He's 39 years old. His destiny unfolds. His brothers come and they bow before him. And then they realize who he is once he reveals himself and I'm going to give you guys a new principle. You ready for it? It's the 50-20 principle. Has anybody ever heard of the 50-20 principle? This is a new one. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph, in effect, said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. So here's the 50-20 principle. A life surrendered to God can claim this principle. Whatever happens to me, God is going to use for me. Even the worst thing that could happen to a believer, think about getting sick. Think about, I think about, you know, dying as a martyr. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. From God's perspective, He can turn it into the best thing that happened for you from an eternity perspective. Now, on the temporary, it seems horrible. Some of us had horrible things happen to us. But according to Genesis 50, verse 20, and it lines up with Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good to so those who love God according and are called according to his purpose. Even the worst thing that could happen to you can be the best thing that happens for you. Now, let's think about dying. Whenever you take your last breath on earth, you take your first breath in heaven and that first breath in heaven will be the best breath of your life and it will go on forever. So breathe in drama, breathe out destiny, breathe in sorrows, bring, breathe out significance. I want everyone to just take a deep breath. Go ahead and breathe out. And here's the question. I just want to look you guys in the eyes and ask you this question. What if your present drama is part of your future destiny? What if God is working behind the scenes What if God is working on your problem and through your situation so that even the worst thing that can happen to you becomes the best thing that happens for you? Amen. So we have an ordinary couple who experienced something quite extraordinary. We have a godly guy who experienced this heartbreaking situation. The third observation from our passage today is an angel who is sent with a miraculous message of hope. Notice, but while verse twenty, while Joseph thought about these things, you know, Joseph was about to lose it. He's like, man, this woman that I I prepared this house for, that I'm getting ready to officially marry, she's she's went off the deep end. She's gotten pregnant with another guy, and you can imagine Joseph's emotions were really stirred up. He probably was upset. Probably was angry. He probably asked the question, and if you've ever been single, you've asked this question. Are there any good girls left? Ladies, are there any good guys left? How many of you have asked that question? All right. Um, You know, he's, he's wrestling with this. And what happened, look back at verse 20. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So in Joseph's darkest night, God shows up bright in the midst of darkness. God says, I'm going to send you an angel of light in the midst of your heartbreak. God's going to send you a breakthrough in the midst when you want to quit. You want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. God says, hold up. Mary's not been unfaithful. Hold up. I still got a plan. And by the way, there's significance in your suffering there is destiny in your drama. You may not always see this, but Joseph, things are not always as they seem. Have you ever noticed looking back in your life that things are not always as they seem? Anybody been there? Raise your hand if that's true with you. Am I the only one? All right. Yes. Online, raise your hand. Things are not always as they seem. There's a story of a man that he got shipwrecked, and he ended up on this uninhabited island. And he's like by himself. Sounds like a movie, right? By himself. And he re- realizes, I've only got a few personal possessions left that survived this wreck. And I better build a shelter to protect myself from the elements, to protect my stuff. So he builds this makeshift hut with what he had, what he could find on the island, palm branches. He puts it all together. And as he's getting ready to retire for the night, something Unbelievable happens. His little hut catches fire. And he tries to put it out, but the hut burns to the ground. So that night, this man had to sleep alone on the sandy beach, just despondent. Like, man, I've shipwrecked, i built a house, now the house is burned down, this little hut. So as he is laying there on that cold beach that night, and I just want you to lay there with him. He's laying on the cold beach that night the sand between his toes and all of a sudden morning comes and as that orange sun rises in the horizon his eyes open and not only does he see the sun rise but he sees another boat that's docked on shore to his surprise and his heart stops to beat a second and he looks up what happens and as one of the captains come out of the boat They said, we saw your warning signal of smoke last night as we were passing by. We saw your SOS, and we decided to come answer your call. We've come here to rescue you. So what the guy thought was his destruction and his devastation was actually his rescue. And I'm just wondering, is there anyone here today or listening online that maybe what you thought the enemy was going to use to destroy you, God is going to use to change something in you? Something that was meant to make you broken, God's going to use to make you beautiful in him. God likes to take the broken, fragmented pieces of your life, the broken marriages, the broken family situations, the heartbreak, the job losses, the times where friends and family have walked out on you. He likes to take the broken pieces and with the glue of grace, the glue of grace, he puts them back together again so that what emerges after God's grace is much more beautiful than what was there before. We serve an amazing God. Amen. So, if you will allow me to, how many would need a message of hope from God today? Just like Joseph and his drama needed some hope, I'm just wondering, is there anyone here today that needs a message of hope? A message of courage? A message of God's got a plan? Anybody? I'll raise my hand with that. I just want to encourage you that God loves you more than you'll ever know. He's got a plan for you still, in spite of the drama, in spite of the heartbreak, in spite of the setback. I want you to breathe in the drama, the hardship, and breathe out this, the hope that God has a plan. What the enemy meant for evil, God is bringing about for your good and for his glory. But here's one caveat. If you want to move forward with your life, you have to first complete what God told you to do last. If you want to move forward, you have to first complete what God told you to do last. Some people would say, Timothy, I don't hear from God much anymore. I don't know what his plan. And here's the question I tell those lovely people is that have you done what God told you to do last? Well, no. Well, don't expect God to give you the next until you've done the last. Don't expect God to give you the next piece of the puzzle, the next picture of what unfolds with your destiny until you've obediently responded to what he told you to do last. So don't look for the next until you've done what he's told you last to do. So, so far we've seen an ordinary couple who experienced something extraordinary. We've seen a godly guy who experienced a heartbreaking situation. We've seen an angel who was sent with a message, a miraculous message of hope. And finally, our final observation for today is we see an unusual pregnancy. With an unprecedented promise, an unusual pregnancy with unprecedented promise. Look at verse 21. And she talking about Mary will bring forth a son and you will call his name. What? Jesus, for he will save his people from her, from their sins So there was a destiny in Joseph's drama. Yes, you think that Mary's unfaithful, but she is faithful. Yes, you think that you have to go through this, but I've got a greater plan. And friends, I want to encourage you. You have to exchange your plans for God's greater plans. Your plans and my plans are small. They're finite. They're temporary. They're based upon your senses, what you can see, smell, touch, taste, feel, etc., but God's plan is spiritual. God's plan is supernatural. God's plan is not just temporary, but it's eternal. So here's, here's, here's the... You ever done a gift exchange? You know, where you do the Santa Claus gift exchange? Well, here's the greatest gift exchange. I want you to exchange your small dreams and small plans for God's ginormous, extraordinary, super abundantly, far over you could ask or think or imagine plans. Let's do the, the spiritual gift exchange. God, here is my small thinking... God, hears my small living. God, hears my small believing. And in exchange, I want your plans. In exchange, I want your love. In exchange, I want the Lord Jesus Christ to live his life through me. So like with Paul, I can say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, this mortal body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's do the gift exchange. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question that I want you to think about. Is there anybody here pregnant today? Raise your hand if you're pregnant. We're not that I know of, okay? (laughs) My wife's not here. She just delivered six puppies last night, so she's taking care of six newborn puppies. But we're not pregnant. But let me ask you a question again and phrase it a little differently. How many of you are pregnant with the promise? So what you see here is God is giving Joseph a promise that, listen, there is significance in what you're going through. There is destiny in your drama. And I want want to give you this promise. And just we're going to read about in a few weeks. Mary's going to have a promise. And before she was pregnant with Jesus, she was pregnant with the promise. And, you know, that's how it works in God's economy. It takes how many months for a baby to grow and develop? Nine months, right? I I thought I remember. I had five. I think I'd remember. But around nine months, right? So here's the thing. You get pregnant, and then there's a time of development before there's a time of delivery. Let me give you a little spiritual truth. Before delivery time is development time. And you're like, well, Timothy, I've been serving God 20 years, 30 years, 55 years. 60 years, two years, where's God? Right now, you're in the development phase. Before delivery time comes development time. Back to Joseph, age 17. We fast forward to 30. And then at age 39 is when he saw all this happen. In the second year of famine, his brothers came and bowed down. So if I I do math correctly, 17 to 39, is that 22 years? Right? The first service corrected me. I had my math wrong. I said 18 years. So thank God for two services. You make it better the second time, right? 22 years. So here's what I want to encourage you today. We serve a God who always keeps his promises. We serve a God who's always on time. He may seem late, but he's never late. He may seem delayed, but he's always on time. How many of you have read any of the writings of C.S. Lewis, the renowned Christian author and scholar There's a story about C.S. Lewis that I had never heard before. It comes from his biography. C.S. Lewis, during the time of World War I, he made a promise. Um, This this gentleman that he was friends with was worried that he was going to die in the war. And he's like, I don't want to leave my wife behind. He had a small daughter. I mean, you can imagine fighting in a war and having a wife and a small child that you don't want to leave behind. And C.S. Lewis made this promise to his friend. He said, if you die, God forbid, if you die in the war, I will provide for your wife and daughter. That's that's a big big promise. So unfortunately, in time, his friend did die in the war. And C.S. Lewis, to his word, kept his promise. He said, if I made a promise, I'm going to keep it. However, the woman, the wife that was left behind, was not very nice. She was ungrateful, rude, arrogant, domineering. But C.S. Lewis decided not to recant on his promise. He decided to continue to forgive the woman. He said, if if I've made a promise, I'm going to keep it. If C.S. Lewis can do that, even on a greater scale, can you imagine how we serve a God that always keeps his promises? We serve a promise-keeping covenant God that always keeps his promise. So no matter what you're going through today, some of you may be going through a time of uncertainty and unrest. Look no further than to the Prince of Peace. He's the one that speaks peace to your situation. Some of you are discouraged, depressed today. The 64% I meant. Some of you are among the 64%. And I want you to know that Jesus is the joy giver. He gives you a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. So no matter what you're going through today, know that we serve a God who keeps his promises. Amen. So let's summarize this into one sentence. Let's throw the sermon in a sentence on the screen. This is today's big idea. This is your Christmas reconnected present. In times of great stress, many of us are there. In times of great stress, God often shows up to ordinary people to give extraordinary what? Hope. So if you came today and you are stressed out, wigged out, depressed, discouraged, welcome to good company. But you can leave here today with a little bit of swagger in your step, a little spiritual hope. But because Christmas is all about the God who came down to earth to give us hope, to bring us salvation, to bring us to him. Amen. Three action steps and then we're finished. All right, Timothy, this is like over 2000 years later. Like how are we going to live that out now? That's a really good question of application. Three thoughts with that. Number one is look to Jesus with purpose. If you find yourself in the middle of a mess, know that God can turn your mess into a message. And I'm just wondering, what if what if your present drama is part of your future destiny? All right. Number two, follow Jesus with passion. If you follow Jesus with passion, you can claim the 5020 principle. Genesis 50 verse 20. What you meant for evil, God's going to bring about for good. Now, you can't you can't necessarily claim the Romans 828 and 5020 if you're not following God. Because Joseph followed God, Paul was saying, "This is for those who are following Him." Call it according to His purpose. All right. Number three, get pregnant. If you're a married couple, that may. But I'm talking about promise. Okay. If you weren't awake, you're awake now. Get pregnant with a promise. My wife, if you're listening here, you know whatever. All right. Get pregnant with a promise. Because here's the thing: there's a preparation time before there's a. Delivery time. Joseph had to wait 22 years. Moses had to wait 80 years. God's preparing you for something. And I want this to resonate in your spirit right now to take home with you. God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. Amen. And final question. And I just want to look at the audience at home. What if your present drama is preparing you for your future destiny? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful, that your word is true, that God, you give us these promises that happened to Joseph and others, not just so that we can learn about it, but the Bible says all scripture was meant to teach us so that we can learn and be encouraged through it. And Father, I want to pray for believers first of all. If you're a believer here in person, online, and maybe, like me, you've struggled with believing the promises of God. Maybe you've wavered in unbelief. And, you know, I just want to point us back to the scripture that whatever is not of faith is actually sin. So if you've struggled with the sin of doubting, of not believing God, of walking in the flesh, not in the spirit... Just just tell God that he already knows. To say, God, I'm sorry for the sin of unbelief. I'm sorry for where I've done it my way instead of your way. Even as a believer, God, we can be guilty of walking by faith, not walking by sight, not by faith. So forgive us for that. As the believers continue to do business with God, there may be one here or one listening online as you continue to pray, every head bowed, that you have never received the greatest promise in Scripture, the promise that God so loved you. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus, that's the greatest gift of Christmas. It's the greatest gift of a lifetime. It's the greatest gift of eternity. So how do you do that? Well, if you believe the good news that he lived for you, he died for you, and he rose victoriously, you can place your faith in Christ. And you do that by prayer of faith. There's no magic in your words. It's your heart reaching out to God. Say a prayer in your own words like this. Say, Dear God, I want to receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. So go ahead and tell Him. Say, God, please come into my life. I realize that I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. And Father, I pray that you would step into my life through the person of the Holy Spirit. Invite God into your life now. Step into my life. I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.